This episode is brought to you by Dietz and Watson. Uh, Molly, it's time we have the talk about hot dogs. Oh, oh, okay. Well, hey, (laughs) I'm looking for a hot dog that's the real deal, Matthew. Like a classic hot dog that like when you think of like the platonic ideal of a hot dog, Mm -hmm. I recommend Dietz and Watson's Dietz Dogs. Ah, well, I've heard that they're handcrafted and made using only Dietz and Watson premium meat. I can vouch for this because Dietz and Watson sent us a big box of hot dogs and other delights. And wife of the show, Lori, and I had them for dinner last night. We had uh, the classic beef Dietz dogs with uh, toasted buns with sauerkraut and pickled jalapenos and Dietz and Watson ballpark style yellow mustard. Do you think you'd recommend Dietz and Watson hot dogs for fried rice? Oh, yeah. Fried rice with some sliced hot dogs. I'm going to be doing that soon. Wife of the show, Lori, is going to be making the hot dog flour buns from Christina Cho's cookbook, Mooncakes and Milk Bread. Very excited for this. Mm, And I'm especially pleased because Dietz and Watson does things the right way. So this means like no additives, no fillers, no artificial flavors, no cutting corners. You can feel good about this stuff. Dietz and Watson. It's a family thing since 1939. Shop now at Dietz slash the right way. That's Dietz, D-I-E-T-Z, and Watson.com slash the right way. I'm Molly. And I'm Matthew. Welcome to Spilled Milk, the show where we cook up something delicious and eat it all, and you can't have any. Today, we're going to be talking about winter squash. Wait, seriously, today's topic is winter squash for the whole show because I don't even really like winter squash. Oh, come on. You're not going to tell me that you're one of those people who thinks it's too sweet, are you? Yeah, I'm pretty much one of those people. It's pretty sweet, you got to admit. Well, I mean, yeah, it's sweet. I mean, like, you know, that's what it's about. But the thing is, is either you celebrate that sweetness, you sort of caramelize it, you put some butter on it. Or you, you know, you use it in a recipe or a dish that uh, that's going to just sort of counter that sweetness with some savory components. It's delicious. Well, that sounds good because I have been going to the farmer's market and noticing that they have about 100,000 different kinds of winter squash there, like the delicata squash and the kabocha squash and the butternut squash and scary, enormous squashes. And I've been uh, thinking I'd like to do something with those. Well, I think that we can hook you up with some good ideas. So what's, what's something that I could make that would, that would tone down that sweetness so that I wouldn't feel like I was being hit on the head with a sweet hammer during lunch? <laughs> a sweet hammer. I don't know. I think a sweet hammer sounds <laughs> that, that, kind of good. True. It sounds like a great band, actually. It does. It does. We can discuss that later. <laughs> but right. for now, what we're going to do is we're going to go into the kitchen and we're going to make a salad that I love to make. And it's great for this time of year. It uses roasted butternut squash and then they're dressed with a lemon tahini sauce. So what makes it work is that there's a decent amount of brightness and acidity in the sauce. And there are also some other very savory components in the salad, like uh, cilantro and red onion. And it really balances out the sweetness of the squash and, and really makes for a nice harmony. Okay, that sounds great. Um, I'm, I'm sold. Let's, let's make it. I'll put on one of my Sweet Hammer 8 tracks and we'll <laughs> head into the kitchen. Great. So we are, we're in the kitchen. Yes. In my kitchen with, uh, with its Which broken, is beautifully appointed. Yes, with a broken silverware drawer and um, lots of dirty dishes. And uh, anyway, we are cooking. Okay. So uh, we have some butternut squash that is roasting in the oven with some olive oil, a little bit of allspice, and some garlic. Okay. We are going to make a tahini sauce. And I just rinsed some chickpeas, some canned chickpeas. Uh, and we are going to chop up some red onion and some cilantro. Okay. What? Can I can I do anything to help here? By the way. Uh. Well, I'm going to have you juice the lemon. I'll juice it. 
So I've noticed sometimes when you cut up a squash, your hands feel kind of weird afterwards. Have you ever noticed this? I've absolutely noticed it. And the weird thing is, is that it's very hard to tell if you have some sort of residue on your hands or if the squash has completely, like, permanently wrinkled them. your skin. and it, it feels like your hands are dry and they will never be wet again. Yes, exactly. Yet they're also um, a little itchy. There's yes. a little itching that goes with it, too. Well, so I did a little bit of research. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, Matthew did a little bit of research. Sent <laughs> <laughs> it to me via email. Um, we did a little bit of research on why this is that maybe this butternut squash makes our hands feel completely gnarly. And the general consensus is that it causes a sort, it causes an allergic reaction in a lot of people and a kind of dermatitis. Is that the now, word? Yes. Now, when you say when you say research, you mean like I put on my goggles and I went down to my basement laboratory and yeah. I had beakers and flasks bubbling down there. You did, and you sacrificed your hands over so, and over to the the evil sap of the butternut squash. Good. I'm glad to hear it wasn't the kind of research that consists of, of typing butternut squash hands into Google. Yeah. So we've just finished making the butternut squash salad, and uh, now we're going to sit down and eat it and talk some more about squash. This is delicious. This is delicious, isn't it? This, yes. This tahini sauce is really nice with the, the sweetness of the squash. Yes, and it's uh, it's got sesame, which I love on anything, and it's uh, tart from the lemon, and so it's uh, it's not too sweet. Yes, good. I'm glad that it passed muster for you. Okay, so let's talk about the, the scariest thing about squash. When you, you bring home a winter squash, and it's a formidable object to cut into, how do you approach that? I don't approach it very well, which is kind of sad because I really love cooking with squash. And I was just realizing, so Matthew and I, just a second ago, in talking about what we wanted to talk about today, discovered that I have sort of an archaic and potentially dangerous way of preparing specifically my butternut squash. I, uh, I generally take the whole thing, plunk it in the sink, and then go at it with a vegetable peeler, which is a really hair-raising exercise because there's a lot of slipping, as you can imagine. Once you've peeled off the skin, the squash is pretty slippery, and I'm dealing with a fairly sharp peeler blade. I'm, I'm envisioning a total, like, psycho-type situation with it this, is. the squash sitting in the sink and, and you approaching it from across the kitchen with a vegetable peeler raised in your in your hand. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of blood, a lot of screaming, and a lot of Norman Bates. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Anyway, so Matthew has... Uh, has enlightened me as to a, a better way to do it. I don't really know how it is that I can love butternut squash this much and have been approaching it in such a ridiculous way for so long. Here's what I do with it with a butternut squash, um, which is uh, possibly less psychotic. Take the butternut squash, which has the the bulbous part at the bottom, and then the neck coming out of that that leads up to the up to the stems, like the cylindrical part. And I treat those two separately and uh, cut right in half, um, separating the neck from the body. Basically, yeah, this sounds much less psychotic. <laughs> yeah, so so um, so separate the neck from the body um, in a, in like Norman Bates used to do. Yeah, and uh, and then so you've got this cylinder, and then cut the cut the stem off also. So you've got this cylinder that's the neck, and this uh, and this ball that was the body. Uh, and treat them separately. So cut down um, around the, the edge of the cylinder, cutting, um, you know, stand it up on the board and cut straight down to take the skin off. And then the, uh, so then you have like, that's to me is that's, that's like squash nirvana because there's no seeds. It's a block that you can cut into slices or chunks, whatever, whichever you like. 
and uh, the it's easy to take the skin off. Then you've got uh, the the ball that's that's equivalent to what would be the entire squash if it was like a pumpkin shaped squash. And that I be uh, you know I because the the skin is hard to take off when it's raw and easy to take off when it's cooked. I tend to kind of cut it into four chunks, take the seeds out, put it in the oven, and roast it. And then it's really easy to get that skin off of there. But I think that also, if you if you were willing to be careful and to work slowly, you could also stand the the you know the uh, the bulbous part, the part containing the seeds. We're having a really difficult time figuring out what to well, call. We need this. we need like we need like the, the the squash equivalent of Grey's Anatomy, like like something you know, we really very do. detailed medical diagrams of squash. We really do. I think that before we do another episode, whatever the subject is, we should really create detailed anatomical charts and. I, I do think that if you were really careful with your knife, if, and if you wanted to use the, the bulbous part when it was raw and not roast it and then sort of peel it away from the skin, I do mm-hmm. think that you could sort of ease a knife along the curb of it and go ahead and peel it as well on the cutting board. Cut it in half, scoop the seeds out, and then you know do whatever, you know use it the same way that you were going to use the, um, the part that you've already peeled. Okay, so what if what if it's not a butternut squash? What if you have more of a more of a pumpkin shaped squash, like a, like a kabocha or a, or a sugar pie? Uh, what do you do? What do you do to break into those? Well, uh, I have a, a similarly um, pathetic technique. Basically, uh, because you've got this you know this sort of round squash or this squatty thing that's got a stem in the middle, you can't really just sort of cut straight down the middle easily. You've right. got to sort of negotiate the stem. So I take my biggest, heaviest knife and I insert it point down in the top of the squash on one side of the stem. And then I proceed to attempt to wiggle it down the side of the squash, which never works very well. So I wind up sort of holding onto the handle of the knife with both hands, picking up the squash and banging <laughs> it on the countertop until the knife sort of eases its way down the side. And it, I do that, I repeat it on the second side, and then I, then I break it open. And um, it's either that or, or what I call the patented throwdown technique, where you, um, you basically either climb up on something tall or you leap in the air, anything so that you know you're up pretty high, and then you throw the squash down. But it's messy. It's messy. It's violent. It's very violent, and uh, you can wind up with shattered uh, <laughs> dreams, hopes, <laughs> bones. <laughs> um, you can wind up with with squash bits like all over your driveway, pretty much. But you know, when in doubt, it works. It also works with a coconut. So you heard it here first. Okay, so so to sum up your method of getting into the pumpkin-shaped squash, you either, like, stab it with a knife and, like, shake it around, hanging off the end of the knife, or you climb up on something high and and volley it at the ground with extreme force. Yes. Do do, do you have any issues you want to talk about? Because here's here's how I do it. Uh, Um... I like to, uh, and I'm envisioning a fairly small squash here because uh, that's uh, there are only three people in my family and one of them doesn't like squash. Hi, Iris. So what I do is I take it and basically uh, cut the cut the head off the top of the squash. Um, basically, take a slice off the top, including down just to the base of, of the stem, uh, and uh, and take that off. And then, yes, I have a question. I was <laughs> raising my hand. So this, but this raises another sort of safety issue. You've got this round squash, right? How do you slice? 
Yep. How do you slice a portion of the top of it off without it rolling all over the place that's like a, a soccer ball on your cutting board? That's a very good question. If it's not if it's not a, a squash with 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 ridges or like steel belted radials or something yeah, grippy something like that, traction. then um, you can uh, you can cut a little slice off the side and stand it up on the slice uh, and use that as a base to cut the top off. Okay. And then once you've got the top off, you can you can put it down um, like bottom up. So resting on that big flat section that you just made, and then cut th- straight through and cut it in half. This of makes course, so much sense. This is like you really you should write a book like the path of least resistance to squash or something because that, that could be a self help bestseller. <laughs> it could the the uh, the purpose the purpose driven squash. the The problem is if you have a squash that's that's uh, that's larger than than your knife is long then that method doesn't work anymore and you have to revert to your method of plunging plunging the knife point first into the squash and uh praying yeah yeah or you get like a mezzaluna like one of those huge oh yes double hit. like you go to your local cheese merchant where they break down a whole wheel of parmesan uh-huh. you borrow the mezzaluna and you use it on your okay pocket. here's what i'm thinking so this is the ultimate the ultimate squash dismantling method you get two people to hold the mezzaluna blade up um, and then you get up on the ladder. See, this combines the best of, of, of everything we've said so far. My you get up on the ladder and, and launch the squash down into the mezzaluna, and it falls perfectly into two pieces on the ground. Wow. This is amazing. You, um, <laughs> If you had been around during the French Revolution, maybe this is what, what would have been happen- happening instead of a guillotine. <laughs> this is pretty awesome. No, don't take me up that ladder. <laughs> So we've just finished this delicious salad. I noticed you only used half of that butternut squash, and there's uh, the other half is sitting on the counter over there. What are you, what are you going to do with it? Because if you look in my fridge, typically you will find like a quarter of a kabocha squash that is never going to be eaten by anyone, and I feel guilty about that and don't know how to solve the problem. Wow. I think we both bring some emotional issues to the table here with, with squash. Yeah. My violence, your guilt. It's... <laughs> <laughs> wow, this is a fraught show. Um, anyway, what I do with leftover squash is because I, I, you know, I don't like to see it go to waste either. I, uh, what I plan to do with that squash over there on the counter is I am going to take it. I'm going to go ahead and peel it, and uh, and I'm going to steam it or roast it. You can even boil it if you're in a hurry. I, I find that boiling is a little quicker than steaming. Okay. Um, I don't know if other people agree. I don't think I've ever boiled a squash, but I, I believe you. Oh, I've done it before. The key is is gentle and don't overcook it. Okay. Uh, anyway, but what you're going to do is, however you've cooked it, um, you're going to then put it in a bowl and mash it. Uh, essentially turn it into a puree. You could also do it in a food processor. And then you can throw it into some sort of container and throw it into the freezer. And you can keep it for a while. Uh, it will look a little funny when you pull it out. You may notice that you've got your squash puree, and then there's a little bit of water that's separated from it when it's thawed. Okay. Uh, if you put it into a bowl, you can just sort of whisk that water back into it, or you can pour it off either way. It's kind of like if you've ever frozen a banana, and mm-hmm. then you've thawed the banana. That, that's a topic for a whole other show, because a frozen banana is, is the most terrifying thing it in the world. It is absolutely terrifying. Go try it at home. Well... If I, next year for Halloween, I'm going to dress up as a thawed frozen banana and just like ooze <laughs> all over everyone. <laughs> You're going to have to trail some sort of a bucket or something. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So, uh, yeah. So my, my, um, my main use for that frozen squash puree is to uh, use it in a quick bread. 
um, or if you are going to be making some sort of a cake that calls for, um, well, you can make a pumpkin cake. So it sounds like your frozen pumpkin puree, you've, you've kind of recreated the, the frozen squash puree of my youth that, uh, that my mom used to buy at the supermarket and, uh, heat up and that would be our, our vegetable side dish. I remember having that many, many times. Did you ever have this stuff? I have never even heard of frozen squash puree. Seriously? I am serious. It comes in a box like frozen spinach. Like a paper box? And yes. You, you peel the paper off and you have a block of spinach? You, ha- you have I mean, that. a block of squash. In this case, squash, yes. Yes, so you, have, you, have, yes you have this orange, this orange frozen solid block. And the main thing I remember about it, uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not bad. It's, it's, uh, it's not as good as fresh squash. But uh, the main thing I remember about it from my youth is that it was always hot enough to kill you. I, I imagine. I mean, it could be a lot like lava, you know, similar consistency, it, it, similar yes. color. Yeah. Does it, um, you know, does it, when it flows across the plate, does it have sort of <laughs> black chunks of rock over it? Yeah. And the, the brand to look for if you're going to get that is, is, is magma. Okay. <laughs> we noticed after we had started preparing squash for today's salad that uh, that one of the cut sides of the squash that was just sitting on the countertop was producing a ton of. It, it was like it was sweating. It yes. Was producing kind of a sap. Some sort of exudate. Yes, exactly. See, see, like I was joking before about there being a squash anatomy book, but it's seeming more and more like there should be because what is that stuff? You know, it's clearly it's clearly coming from some some, some sort of channels around the edge of the squash, and well, uh, and I I have a feeling we we just looked at some a second ago that was on a different piece of squash that had been on the cutting board, and it had hardened into like this rubber, it or was like crazy. amber. It was like amber. Do you think that if a mosquito got caught in it, that maybe we could turn it into a necklace and sell it at a craft fair? <laughs> yes, I'm just seeing a whole Jurassic Park possibilities here so i'm gonna i'm gonna taste this sap are you insane well i i have you i've never tasted it before have you i mean i've noticed it i noticed the same thing on a zucchini do you want do you want me to be ready to call 911 here yes you noticed it on a zucchini well i've noticed it on a zucchini the same kind of beating on a cut surface okay so okay i'm gonna try it well then i'm gonna try it too yeah it makes my tongue feel really dry and awful I, I don't taste anything. Well, that's that's because you're you're a non you're a non squash liquor. <laughs> no, but really, do you taste something from that? Well, I don't taste something, but it makes my it makes my whole mouth feel feel dry and and uh, desiccated, like uh, like really like oversteeped tea or uh, a uh, really tannic red wine or I'm an unripe gonna, persimmon. I don't feel anything. I'm gonna lick it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Don't, don't you wish we had video? Ooh, that is making my tongue feel... Okay, wait, no, no I'm going to try that. <laughs> that is making my tongue feel pretty... Yeah, it's like someone sanded my tongue. Just a little bit, but it's very faint. No, I get it, I get it. It's, I, it's not faint for me. So I am inclined to think, then, that the stuff that makes your hands feel so crazy when you're peeling a butternut squash, if you sort of rub your hands all over it or get it on your hands, I think it's, it must be the sap. I think, I think you're right. And I think, um, you know, people don't, don't lick a squash. Yeah. Don't, don't do it. We tried. It's, it's not worth it for the high. (laughs) (laughs) So now are you going to, are you going to like put this, this piece of squash in the fridge that we both licked? (laughs) Yeah. Now I'm going to turn this into a puree Mm -hmm. and I'm going to make a quick bread with it. Mm -hmm. That's (laughs) what I'm going to do. 
The salad that we've made today is one of my favorite butternut squash dishes. I got the recipe out of the book Casa Moro, or Moro, I'm not really sure how to say it. It's M-O-R-O. It sounded to me like you just said the same thing twice. Well, maybe I did. Anyway, hopefully somebody out there will know what I'm talking about. Um, What are some of your favorite squash dishes? I like I like things that emphasize the the savory side of, of squash. So I like to I like to stir fry anything pretty much, but I really like to stir fry um, a squash that has a dense texture like butternut or kabocha. Um, cut it into into small chunks, and I find that squash and Asian fish sauce get together get along together really well. Ooh. That uh, its fish sauce is really salty and it's a little bit sour from from being fermented and. Uh, you know, this, the, there are two ingredients that are you don't think of much together, but they're kind of magical together. And I like to stir fry stir fry squash in a little in a little oil, um, and uh, put some put some uh, minced garlic in there, and uh, and fish sauce. It's great if you want to throw in some chicken with that. Um, that makes a, a great one dish meal. When you stir fry squash, because it's so dense and it's, uh, and it needs to cook a few minutes. You, you want to brown it a little bit and then add water and cover the pan for mm. two or three minutes, maybe maybe even five minutes until it's almost tender. So and you're going to kind of steam it, it. Yeah. a little bit. Okay. Um, which, I mean, the same, thing, the same thing that I would do if I was stir-frying broccoli. Okay. Well, I've never actually tried stir-frying it. One of my favorite things to do with it, and, and what I think a lot of people do with it at this time of year, is make a soup. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm a big pureed soup person, so I, um, I make a butternut squash apple soup with a recipe that my mom gave me. And then I, uh, I often to make it a little bit more interesting, will substitute the apple, um, or substitute pear for the apple. Um, and it's got some apple cider in it, which gives it like a nice sort of brightness from the acid and the apple cider. And then I finish it by stirring in some, um, some half and half that I've steeped a vanilla bean in. Wow. And it sounds like it would get crazy sweet, like something you might absolutely hate, Matthew. Mm -hmm. But, uh, it really doesn't because of the brightness of the cider and sort of the, the acidity of it. It's really nice. It's balanced. So I love to make a soup, but it's also great um, in sort of a chunkier soup or a stew kind of preparation. Yeah. You can leave it cubed, um, especially the same kind of squashes that you like to use in stir fry with um, with sort of uh, a lot of integrity to their flesh. Right. They would hold up well in a, in a soup that they're being kept cubed in. They wouldn't fall apart. It seems like it could work um, like in, in kind of a, a root vegetable stew. It's not, you know, it's not a root, but uh, but like throw it in with some with some turnips and uh, and rutabaga and parsnip and all those things. I think right. would work together really well and uh, would be, you know, like I am definitely eating a winter dish here. Right, right. Well, and those all of those things roast really well too. So yes, if you wanted absolutely. to just, you know, make a really beautiful collection of roasted vegetables to throw on a plate next to something. You couldn't go wrong with some butternut squash and rutabaga and potato. And now, if you were going to throw them on a plate, would you do that from a great height? I, I would. I would. And, uh, you know, I would make sure that the, the plate was where the mezzaluna would ordinarily be. <laughs> yeah. Now, I like, um, I mean, we had a, we had squash roasted in salad today, which is which is one of my favorite, favorite ways to have it. I like salads that have kind of kind of a creamy element to it that can come from cheese or can come from uh, roasted squash. Um, and uh, I, was, I was thinking when you were talking about the soup, it seems like you could make a, a salad version of that with roasted chunks of roasted squash and, uh, and a tart green apple. Mm. Um, and uh, that uh, those, could, those could set each other off really nicely. Well, you know what would be killer with that would be like some bacon. Or something yes, like that. absolutely. That would be awesome. Yeah, and I'm not sure what how I would dress it. 
I think it would need something green in there, maybe some parsley or yes. something, Italian parsley or... Yeah, like a simple a simple herb vinaigrette, though, yeah. I think would be really good. Yeah. Oh, and the other thing I wanted to mention, and I know you've made this too, is um, Julia Child has a great recipe for a butternut squash gratin. And I think you leave the butternut squash in, in cubes, sort mm-hmm. of in, in chunks, um, and you make a bechamel. I believe there's some gruyere involved. And it's really, really delicious, kind of a, a very elegant way to serve squash. I love that recipe, and I, uh, I never would have made it if I hadn't had it. Um, someone brought it to a potluck one time because um, I shy away from making bechamel, and, um, and I'm a little nervous about uh, squash recipes that seem like they could go in a sweet direction, but this is just fabulous. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's the cheese. I think it is the cheese, yeah. A couple weeks ago, I went to this Thai restaurant in Issaquah called Noodle Boat, and for the month of October, they had their special pumpkin curry, which was really um, probably a kabocha squash curry, um, and uh, it uh, it turned me on to the notion that uh, that squash can work really well in a Thai curry. And uh, same same thing, I keep saying that it's got it's got all of those intense savory flavors that keep the squash from overwhelming me and being too sweet. And so. Uh, I, uh, I made a, uh, a kabocha squash curry last week um, with just some coconut milk and Thai red curry paste um, from uh, from the store and uh, and chunks of chunks of squash and uh, fish sauce and lime juice um, and it's really really simple to make and good. Yeah, and I tasted that curry and it was delicious, really good with rice. Well, thank you for lunch, Molly. I'm going to go do some dishes now. Well, I'm, uh, I'm going to go take this squash that we've just been licking and cube it up and turn it into a puree to put in my freezer. That sounds delightful. You've been listening to Spilled Milk. I'm Matthew Hamster Burton. And I'm Molly Weisenberg. I like to use it in a quick bread, uh, pumpkin bread, that kind of thing. Sure. Pumpkin muffin. Some people... <laughs> That's fine. We can cut cut there. Pick up after pumpkin muffin. <laughs> Although I'm curious what some people do. <laughs> okay, I gotta get it together. <laughs> okay. Mm. Anyway, pumpkin muffin. There we go. Okay. Mm. Anyway, you can pretty much use it. <clears throat> In any recipe where you would use <laughs> ground lamb. <laughs> okay. All right. Oh boy. Okay. So I'm gonna get this together. This episode is brought to you by Town Place Suites by Marriott. Whether you're traveling for work or just enjoying a relaxing week away, Town Place Suites by Marriott has all the comforts of home. Yeah, and if you're a spilled milk listener, we bet that sometimes you want to cook when you travel. And Town Place Suites by Marriott has a Weber grill on the patio. They've got a microwave, dishwasher, stovetop, full-size refrigerator. You are good to go. In other words, Town Place Suites by Marriott has all the amenities you need to feel at home during your stay. Find the comforts of home at Town Place Suites. Go there with Marriott Bonvoy.